My name is Greg Kudrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. Now, I'm not a pastor. I'm just a normal guy, and this is just me talking about my personal Bible studies. If you want to know more about me, well, visit my website, theology101.net. And if you want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. What is the Bible? That's the question we're trying to answer. We've spent uh, about three or four different episodes during our little podcast here trying to figure out what is the Bible. We started out by looking at the Bible as a covenant corpus. Um, Bible is made up of two testaments. Each testament is a covenant that started with the death of the testator. So if we just look at the Bible as a group of testaments, two testaments, we can see that it is a covenant corpus. It's a, a body of two testaments. And then we also took some time and looked at the the content of Scripture and how it crystallizes around the eight major covenants, if you remember that, um, eight major covenants that God made with man. There is a ninth, and we're going to talk about that one of these days. But we saw that all of Scripture kind of crystallizes around it, all of the history of uh, of the Bible, history that's contained in the Bible. It basically develops around these formal arrangements, these legal mechanisms, the covenants that God made with man, and everything kind of develops that way according to the covenants. And so the Bible is a covenant corpus, and because the Bible is a covenant corpus, this is what we saw in the in the last episode that dealt with this this question: What is the Bible? Um, it it's it's authoritative. Okay, the Bible. It's a covenant corpus. It's a covenant is a legal arrangement, formal arrangement with an oath and 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 whatever that God makes with man. Well, it establishes a law. Stipulations of the covenant become law, and so a covenant corpus is by its very nature authoritative. It's, it's authoritative in its origin because the words of Scripture, they're inspired by God. All of these covenants, the history, everything that's going on, the plan, the purpose, wherever God's taken this thing, that's, it's, it comes from God. And so it's authoritative because God is our authority. It's also authoritative in its purpose because that's a stated purpose in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. God inspired Scripture to govern us. And so Scripture, as a covenant corpus, it confronts us with God's absolute and final authority over us and over our lives as the subjects living in the kingdom that he created. And so now we've got just one more aspect we want to add to this topic regarding what the Bible is. Um, it is accessible, okay? Now, what do we mean by accessible? Well, think about this. Um, the Bible, Scripture, uh, God's covenant corpus, it, it's, a, it's available, uh, God didn't lose the inspired Scripture, you know, like we lose our car keys. It's also obtainable, because God speaks more than one language. He speaks more than just Hebrew. He speaks more than just Greek. And it's also understandable. Um, God did not make the Bible that difficult. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I like to call my uh, my podcast, Theology 101, because I, I don't think it's that difficult. Um, simple is better. I think a lot of it depends more on attitude than aptitude. And so um, I want to explore this idea a little bit, unpack it, develop it. Um, scripture is accessible. We, we can grasp it. We can get it. We can hold it in our hands. We can study it. We can learn it. Okay, so let's get a running start at that. And uh, let's, let's just start big and then work down to the small. So Let's start with this idea of what, what, what's the Word of God. If we talk about the Word of God in general, okay, what, what are we talking about when somebody says, yeah, that's the Word of God? I know the Scripture is the Word of God, but let's back up a little bit 
and take a look at the Word of God being basically the discourse of God, okay? The Word of God is what God says when He speaks. It's the discourse. It's the conversation that God creates by communicating ideas with words. Um, Back to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. I know this is a passage we looked at before. It says, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken, uh, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So, According to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God has spoken in various and different ways throughout the history of creation. And the following, I'm just going to give you a couple examples of some things I pulled out through through Scripture to describe the main ways in which God has spoken His Word, has given His Word, has entered into a discourse um, with with His creation uh, throughout history. So obviously the Word of God has taken on different forms. Um, The first one is the obvious one, verbal communication. Sometimes God just uh, speaks, uses His voice. You know, it's like in Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so God speaks, uses His voice, audible voice. Um, Remember the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, where God spoke when Jesus Christ was up there with Peter and and uh, who was it? Peter and John and James. Okay, and he said, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." Well, God spoke. He he had verbal communication. Okay, that's one of the ways. Another way is visions and dreams. And it's a big thing in the Old Testament. Been times when God has spoken to men through through visions at night or dreams. It says in Numbers uh, twelve six, and he said, "Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you." I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. Okay, so this idea of of dreams and visions of the night, it seems to be uh, God's principal method of communicating with men during the time of Job, about that time of the patriarchs, you know, before Moses. When Moses came along, of course, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, five books of the Pentateuch, and... And so before that time, before Moses' time, because Moses didn't start writing until, you know, about the time of the the Exodus, Um, before that time, during the time of the patriarchs, you got Job, and that's when Job lived, and that's when uh, Job was was written. And Job 4, 12 to 17 speaks of this this idea of visions in the night. It says, Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little thereof. In thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth, falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made my bones to shake. And then he goes on, he, he, he kind of describes this vision of a spirit that passed before him and, 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 and talked to him and, and spoke to him. But what we want to see here is that they speak of this, this, this idea of visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth on men, and, and that's how communication came to them from God. And so it seems to be a principal method of communication back in that time, not so much later and definitely not today. Um, A third method of God's communication with man is what we see in, um, in, in the life of Israel, and it's these two things called the Urim and the Thummim, okay? Whatever the Urim and the Thummim were, they were given to Israel in order for God to communicate his counsel to his people through the priesthood. There's a number of passages that talk about the Urim and the Thummim. Um, I got Numbers 27, 21 here, and it says, 
He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And so these were some sort of God-given means of seeking through the priesthood answers to questions in crisis and, and whatever. Urim and Thummim, okay? Fourth method of God's communication with his people, with people in, in general prophets, okay? God sent prophets to Israel primarily as counselors to the king, but the prophets were also to speak his word to his people, and they were sometimes even sent out to the Gentile nations, a couple of them. And so we see this, for example, in the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1, 4-9, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet, okay, a prophet unto the nations. And then I said, here's Jeremiah, and I said, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee. And he says, Whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. So there's the, the office of a prophet. That's how the prophet worked. God gave the prophet revelation, and the prophet was to speak that revelation to the people God sent him to. So he says, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. So that's the office of a prophet. That's God's communication through a prophet. Whatever God said to speak, that prophet was to speak it. Now some, not all, of the prophets wrote down their, uh, their messages, portions of their messages, obviously. And that's what we have preserved in the Old Testament, in the minor prophets, major prophets, what we call the prophets. Um, the principal form of prophetic communication, however, was the spoken word. So God says, I put my words in your mouth, and he says, you go speak. So that's the, the office of a prophet. So that's four different methods of communication. Verbal communication, God speaks. You know, Bible says several times, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. And uh, God spoke to Moses like a friend. God uh, hung out with Abraham, you know, when they're talking over um, Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. They're in uh, Genesis 19. They're just, they're talking like, like two friends. So God speaks, verbal communication. You also have visions and dreams. We saw that. Urim and Thummim, uh, whatever they were. Uh, prophets, God spoke through his prophets. And fifth, what we're looking at here, Scripture. So Scripture is God's Word, God's discourse in written form. Um, God's Word obviously comes to us in the form that we call Scripture. Scripture comes from script being uh, written, I mean, obviously. 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20, passage we've seen before in this study, it says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Okay, Peter is referring to this experience that he had on the Mount of Transfiguration when he saw Jesus transfigured into his glory, and he heard the voice of God from heaven that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than the audible voice of God, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Then he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So we have a more sure word of prophecy. That prophecy, that sure word of prophecy, comes to us in Scripture. So it's important to note that um, Scripture, what we understand is Scripture according to the Scripture, was completed in the first century. There will be no more Scripture. It's done. It's over. Okay, Hebrews 1, 1, and 2. Go back to this, this passage. Let's look at it again. Pull out a couple of things, especially in verse 2, because Hebrews 1, 1, and 2 say, 
God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay, so that was time past. Now, verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so, verse 1, we see that at sundry times or various times in the past, God spoke in diverse or different ways. But in these last days, it says in verse 2, okay, the last days of the human author of Hebrews, okay, in the first century, I don't care, not our our purpose here to, to dig into why Paul is the, the human author of Hebrews, and we're not going to go looking at all that stuff, okay, but uh, Hebrews, written during the first century, these last days, that's what it refers to, the last days, God spoke by his son, okay, so first... God spoke by his son audibly, Jesus Christ audibly speaking in the history recorded in the Gospels and Acts. So we have the Gospels and Acts. Okay, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Well, when did that happen? Obviously, in the Gospels and Acts, we have some of the recorded words of Jesus Christ. However, God finished that communication with man through his son later through the inspired writings of Jesus' apostles. Okay, the 12, and then later Paul. Now I'm going to read John 16, 12 to 15. Pay attention to the, uh, to the, to the pronouns. I, I know this gets us all jacked up because we don't use these pronouns anymore. You're going to see ye and you. Ye and you are second person plural pronouns, okay? Um, if, you, if you see ye, just think y'all, okay? It's about a plural Okay, plurality of people that the uh, writer is is writing to or speaking to. Okay, um, rather than thou. Okay, thou art the one said the prophet Nathan to to David. When you're talking to one person singular uh, in the second person, it's thou. Thou art the man. Okay, so John sixteen twelve to fifteen. The Bible says, "I have yet many things to say unto you." Jesus talking to his disciples, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come. Now, when did that happen? Obviously, Acts chapter 2. He says, He will guide you, the twelve, into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. And so Jesus Christ is talking to his apostles, and he is saying the Spirit will come, he will give you, the apostles, revelation. And so Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, is worded in such a way that it is clearly understood that the word of God that came through Jesus, both his spoken words on earth, Gospels and Acts, and his inspired words through his apostles, okay? The word of God that came through Jesus is the culmination of the revelation of God. There will be no more. Okay, listen to these words again. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, Okay, hath spoken. Okay, first notice, he hath spoken. He is not speaking at this moment, the moment that, the, that Paul penned those words in Hebrews 1-2, 
No, hath spoken in the past, and he hath spoken unto us, us being the apostles, by his Son. Okay? So, this is what we see in the book of Jude. Same thing in the book of Jude. Okay? This is the culmination of the revelation of God. Scripture. God hath spoken in the days of the human author of Hebrews, the, the, the apostles. He spoke to the prophets, the, the, the apostles, and there will be no more. In Jude chapter 3, chapter 3, right, obviously, um, Jude chapter 1, verse 3, um, God, it says that he once delivered the faith unto the apostles or unto the saints. Listen, Jude 3 says, Behold when I gave, behold when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Okay, so he says, the faith, that's not belief, this is faith that was once delivered unto the saints. This once delivered faith is the body of doctrine that came to us through the apostles. Okay, it says in Jude 17, Beloved, remember the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the faith once delivered unto the saints is the body of doctrine that's found in the words which were spoken by the apostles of Jesus Christ. Once that communication was finished, okay, the, the faith, the body of doctrine and the words given to the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, once that communication was finished, God ceased his direct revelation to man. Okay? There are no lost books of the Bible. There is no more direct revelation from God. Okay, I don't care what they say about, I've been called to the ministry. No, you haven't. I've been called as a pastor. No, you haven't. That, that's, a, that's a myth. That is Christi Christian superstition. There is no more direct revelation from God. Well, God told me. How did he tell you? If he didn't tell you from Scripture, he didn't tell you. So today, God speaks to man through the revelation he has already given him in the Bible. Scripture, the written Word of God. And so this leads us to the following point of study. What, what's Scripture? I'm going to review some things. This is, this, this is some things we've seen before, and, and it's going to get us to this idea that Scripture is accessible. Okay, the revelation of God. You don't have to grasp at straws. You don't have to grasp at the fog and the mist of uh, what does God want me to do with my life? No, God gave you the Bible, the book, his written word, a more sure word of prophecy so that you could know. So Scripture is the inspired Word of God. We spent some time looking at this in the last episode that dealt with uh, the what is the Bible question. All Scripture, not portions of it, all of it, Genesis to Revelation, its entirety is given by inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So, so Scripture then is not the result of man's efforts and will. It's, it's, not, it's not the product of man's mind. It is rather the result of God's effort, God's will, God's inspiration. It, it, it's, its origin is the mind of God. 
2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, because the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so this this word inspiration, I, I know we took some time and, and talked about it being God-breathed, just in a general sense, understand it to refer to God's superintending of this process of writing Scripture. God superintended. He watched over it. He directed it. He guided it. He governed it. This whole process of writing down His words in what we call Scripture. So, inspiration is not some mechanical dictation process where the human authors are just, just this hollow instrument and then God possesses them so that they can write. Uh, there's, there's clear differences between the human authors. If you read Paul, he writes differently than Peter, and Peter definitely writes different than John, and John writes different in, in Revelation than he did in his, his epistles and his Gospels. So th- there's differences of personality. God didn't just take over the person. He didn't possess them. Um, there were obviously things that God directed men to write down that those men themselves did not understand. But again, God didn't possess them. Okay, He used these men, He moved them to pin down His words, but He did not override their personalities. So, so Peter talks about this idea of, of, of things inspired through human authors that the human authors didn't understand. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. The Bible says, of which salvation the prophets have, have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So Peter draws our attention to this fact that the prophets that wrote about the sufferings and the glory of Christ, they didn't discern when one was going to happen before the other. They couldn't figure it out, okay? So Daniel has a couple of examples in in his 12th chapter, Daniel chapter 12, about things that he wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that that he didn't understand. Um, Daniel 12, 4, it says, "...but thou, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end." Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased, it says in, in verses 8 and 9, Daniel 12, 8 and 9. He says, And I heard, but I understood not. And then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And so when we look at inspiration, we need to understand it doesn't, it doesn't mean God took over uh, and just possess these the, these humans to write down what he want. He he superintended the process. He he moved the holy men of God uh, to to write down the words. And so it simply refers to God speaking through a human instrument. Okay, speaking or writing through a human instrument. The human author communicates the very words God wants him to communicate. Okay, God didn't move aside the personality of the human author. He utilized a person to write down the exact words he wanted. Uh, look at uh, Mark twelve thirty six. Mark twelve thirty six. It says, "For David himself said, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit on on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool." So, so David said these words, but those words were given to David by the Holy Ghost. All right, the same thing we see in Acts 1.16, men and brethren, the Scripture needs to be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, 
spake before concerning Judas, which was to guide them that took Jesus. And so, so God moves the human author. He communicates his words through the words of the human author. Scripture, therefore, refers to the words God gave in written form by his Holy Spirit through men, and this whole process can be referred to as verbal and plenary. Now, I'm going to explain these words. I will probably never use them again, but you're going to hear them all the time, so let's just explain them. The inspiration of Scripture is verbal and plenary inspiration. And I'll tell you what, the vast majority of the people that I hear blather on about verbal and plenary inspiration don't believe it, I mean, for nothing. They say they do, but when you get down to the very details of it, no way, no way, and I'll show you why. Okay, first, Scripture is verbally inspired. It is the verbally inspired Word of God, okay? Verbally, it refers to the words. We're not just talking about the message, No, Scripture is verbally inspired because God inspired the words. Scripture itself claims verbal inspiration, inspiration of the individual words that were written down. Proverbs 22, 21, Bible says that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. So the the words are what God draws our attention to, the individual words. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. John 6, 63, it is a spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so scripture is verbally inspired down to the very words. Scripture is plenary inspired. Why? Because plenary, plain, it means it's complete and entire. The whole collection of God's written words is inspired. Nothing God wanted to include in scripture is lacking in Scripture. God did not lose anything. All that God wanted included in Scripture is preserved in Scripture. Scripture, therefore, is a verbally and plenary inspired Word of God because it is the collection of all the words God wanted to communicate to man in written form. Therefore, you ready? Scripture is the inspired Word of God, and Scripture has to be the preserved Word of God. It's logical and reasonable to believe that what God inspired, He also preserved. Now look, I'm sorry. I I mean, seriously, it makes no sense whatsoever. It is not logical. It is not reasonable for God to inspire his words through human instruments and then not preserve those words to communicate to later generations. I am so sick and tired of hearing these these puffed-up pastors that get one year of Greek or get Logos Bible study software and think that because they have original language tools, they can actually tell us what the real Word of God said. Well, you see in the originals, 
They've never seen the originals. The originals don't exist. It's this mythical, magical escape goat. You see, you see, oh, God inspired the originals, and the originals are 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 verbally and plenarily, plenarily inspired. And today we don't have the originals. So whew, we don't have to worry about it. Right? We can just correct the Word of God where we want to correct the Word of God. And if somebody says there's an error in the Word of God, it doesn't matter because, well, that's not the original anyway. You see how that just makes no sense? Now listen, if God, who is all-powerful, can inspire Scripture, then it is logical and reasonable to believe that He is also all-powerful enough to preserve the Scripture He inspired. This takes us to Psalm 12, obviously. I know some of y'all probably been running right there in your, in your mind. You said, got to go to Psalm 12, got to go to Psalm 12. God promised to preserve two things in Psalm 12, verse 7. You got to take everything in context as verses 5, 6, and 7 of Psalm 12, okay? It says in verse 5, talking about his people, okay? God's people, Israel. For the oppression of the poor, that's Israel. For the sighing of the needy, that's Israel. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Verse 7, thou shalt keep them. That word, them, refers to the words in verse 6 and the poor and needy of verse 5. It refers to God's word and God's people. Thou shalt preserve them, Scripture and Israel. O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And then it's repeated, that, that simple truth is repeated in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And so we can conclude that Scripture is the collection of God's inspired words that he has preserved in written form down through history. Now, if that is our position of faith, that God promised to preserve his words, Okay, and he promised to preserve his words just like, he, just like he promised to preserve his people Israel. And you can look on the news every day and see the testimony of God and his people. He has preserved Israel forever. Now, if this is our position of faith, and it is, God will preserve his word. His inspired word is preserved. That begs a question, doesn't it? Where can I find a copy? Because that's where faith hits the road. That's where the rubber meets the road. Where can I find a copy of the inspired and preserved words of God? See, hold your feet to the fire. If that's your faith, well, I want to see it in action. Where can I find Scripture? And that question leads us to the following point. Scripture is God's inspired word preserved in copies and translations. I know, I know. I just I just threw the curveball out there. And obviously, you know, like I say in my introduction, I'm not a pastor, you know, I'm not a teacher, I'm not I'm not I'm just a guy, man. This is this is my own personal Bible study. I, I'm sitting in my house and I 
writing up Bible studies because I need some organization in my notes, and and uh, I got a buddy Dave, and I want to to share some of this stuff with Dave, and it's fun, um, it's enjoyable, it's edifying. I can encourage myself in the Lord like David uh, because life sucks, man, and so this is good, right? This is good, um, but. I just threw this out there, and I know nobody, I'm not going to rock the world. Nobody's listening to me. I'm a nobody. I'm just a guy sitting in the middle of Kansas talking about his Bible studies. Look, Scripture is God's inspired word preserving copies and translations. You say, where did you get that? Well, I got it from the Bible. Okay, well, that's circular reasoning. Oh, shut up, man. Just, I mean, shut up. Listen, that's circular reasoning. If you come up to me and you say, what's your name? You know what I'm going to tell you? Greg. Well, that's circular reasoning. Why would you come to me to learn about me? Why wouldn't you go somewhere else to learn about me? You say, well, that's ridiculous. I want to go to the source. Yeah. So if you come to me and you want to know about me, you're not going to go talk to my wife. You're not going to go talk to my mom. You're not going to go talk to my cat. You're not going to go talk to my partner at work. You're going to come talk to me. You're going to get, Greg, what's your name? Um, how tall are you? How much do you weigh? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite book? I mean, you know what I mean? You're going to come to me as the original source. So when we start talking about scripture, don't talk to me about circular reasoning. Go to the source. What does the scripture say about itself? What does God's word claim to be? That's the question. That's the issue. Now look, Scripture, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 15-17. 2 Timothy 3, 15. Paul says to Timothy that from a child, Timothy, from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. So Timothy had in his possession, since he was a child, a copy of the Holy Scriptures. And Paul says that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Do I, do I need to read that again for all the circular reasoning, seminary-trained people out there? Okay, Timothy had in his possession, since he was a child, a copy of the Holy Scriptures. That's what Paul said. And all of the Scripture that Timothy had in his hands, since he was a child, is, Paul said, given by inspiration of God, present tense. Now, obviously, Timothy did not have all of the original manuscripts of the Hebrew Scripture Genesis through Malachi, okay? I know, it's Malachi, that was a joke. Timothy had copies of the Scripture, and he probably had copies that were copies of copies, which were probably made from copies of the Scripture. And Timothy's copies were in a language he could read and understand, because they made him wise into salvation. Paul didn't say he had Hebrew scripture. He didn't say he had Greek scripture. He didn't say he had Aramaic scripture. He didn't say he had Latin scripture. He just said he had scripture that could make Timothy wise into salvation. So obviously, whatever language the scripture in in Timothy's hands was written in, Timothy could understand it. 
because it made him wise unto salvation. Now, this point right here is essential to our understanding of what Scripture is according to Scripture. This is not circular reasoning. Okay, this is simply going to the source. Okay, this is our, if you want to call it that, you call our religious book. What does our religious book claim? Okay, the Quran claims its, its certainties, whatever. This is our book. What does it claim? Okay? 2 Timothy 3.15-17 says very, very clearly, in Greek and in English, yes, I've had seminary-level Greek. Okay? In Greek and in English, it says the same thing. Scripture is, present tense, given by inspiration of God. Not was. English and Greek now, not was, is. Not was as if the only the original manuscripts were inspired. That is a fallacy that is made up by men. That is not what Scripture says. And so we start from 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16, and 17. Timothy had the Holy Scriptures in his hand that he could read and understand. It made him wise into salvation. And Paul said that is that Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay, so let's trace that word Scripture through Scripture. Again, it's not circular reasoning. It's going to the source. Let's see what the Scripture claims as Scripture. Let's see what the Scripture says about itself. Matthew 21, 42. Scripture is something a person can hold in his hand and read. Okay, now this is Jesus talking. Jesus, if you remember, is God in the flesh. So here's the author of Scripture. Here's the one who inspired Scripture. And here's what he says about Scripture. Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, later in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, okay, this is Luke writing under the inspiration of the, the Holy Spirit. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch is coming back, is going back home from, from Jerusalem. He's reading in Isaiah, and it says, he's got this copy of Isaiah. The place of the Scripture which he read was this. It's, it's Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter like a lamb before his shearers. He, so he opened not his mouth in humiliation. His judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Scripture is something that you can hold in your hand and read. Do you think the Ethiopian eunuch had the original copy of Isaiah? And yet, Scripture says the Ethiopian eunuch had Scripture. And Paul says that all Scripture is inspired. Okay, so Scripture is something that you can hold in your hand and read. That means Scripture is something that you can ignore. Here's another one from Jesus, the author of Scripture. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. He repeats that, Mark 12, 24. Jesus answering, said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, 
neither the power of God. So since God is, listen, God is just, God is right, God is good. Okay, I think we would agree on that, right? God is God's God's good. There, there's nothing bad in God. He's He's right, He's just, He's good. Well, God being just and right and good, God can only hold a person responsible and accountable for ignoring something to which that person had access to in the first place. God would not reprove someone for ignoring something they did not have ready access to. Does that make sense? Scripture is accessible because you can read it and you can ignore it. And then God will hold you accountable for not knowing it, for ignoring it. So, continuing our study of Scripture and Scripture, Scripture is something a person can hold in their hands and search by reading it, meditating in it, carefully analyzing it. John 5.39, Jesus says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, just commanded somebody to search the Scriptures. How could they ever obey God if the Scriptures are original manuscripts? And yet, all Scripture is given by inspiration. Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So, Scripture is something that you can hold in your hand, you can search. We call that studying. Study it out. Search it out. Look it up. Scripture is something that you can do that with. You can search the Scripture. Scripture is also something, and here's something else, Scripture is something a person can open, declare, and explain publicly. Okay, that means in public. Public, like common, ordinary people. Not seminary professors, not linguists. In public. Scripture is something that you can open and declare and explain publicly in order to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ. Acts 17, 2 and 3. Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. So Paul took the Scriptures, and out of the Scriptures, he opened them and alleged from them, showed them from the the Scriptures that Christ was a suffering Savior. And then Apollos, okay, talking about Apollos, um, Acts 18.28. For he, Apollos, mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So come on, now now listen. That's that's a 5-minute Strong's concordance study. That's not seminary education. That's what the Bible says about itself. That's what scripture says about itself. And the conclusion we come to, look, scripture is not lost. 
Scripture is not only for those with seminary training in the original languages. According to the Bible, Scripture is God's written words preserved throughout history in copies and translations that a common person can hold in their hand, read with their own eyes, study, preach, teach, and even ignore, like so many people today do with regard to what the Scripture says about Scripture. They ignore it. So this begs a question, and I'm just going to touch on it. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to uh, make a big, big, big stink out of it. But I, I do want to mention this. What translation is the Scripture in the English language? I can read Greek, um, I can't read Hebrew, uh, I can read Spanish, and I can read English. So where do we find Scripture in our language? All right. If the Scripture refers to God's inspired words preserved in copies and translations that any common person can hold, read, study, preach, and teach, what, what English Bible is Scripture? Okay. The inspired Scripture in the English language is commonly referred to as the King James Bible. Yes, I said that. It is also called the Authorized Version of 1611. Final revision of the 1611 was 1769. Okay. Now, obviously, like I said, it is not within the scope of this brief study of Scripture to give this big, big, complete, exhaustive explanation of the history and development of the English Bible. I will give you one general observation, though. Okay? This will get you started. In 1881, scholars made a virtually complete departure from what was commonly accepted as, as the, the received text, okay? The commonly accepted family of original language text, Greek text, Texas Receptus, the received text, this family of Greek texts commonly received by the body of Christ as God's preserved word throughout history until 1881. And in 1881, they dumped the Texas Receptus, adopted a critical view of textual evidence, critical view, meaning Darwinian evolution, humanism, okay? Critical view of textual evidence while incorporating readings from corrupt Roman Catholic Greek texts called Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, and Alexandrius. The King James Bible is the last English version to be produced using solely the Textus Receptus. All subsequent English versions, they incorporate readings from corrupt Roman Catholic texts, and they follow a critical even evolutionary, humanistic philosophy of textual criticism. If you want to study it more, look at the study of History and Heritage of the Bible by Pastor Alan Shelby. I'll put a link in the, in the podcast notes, and there's a link in my, uh, my teaching notes also. You can get on my site, bible.kodrowski.net. Um, look under a, the topical studies under King James Bible, History and Heritage of the Bible by Alan Shelby. Okay, so... We know what Scripture is. We know what the Word of God is, um, how the Word of God came down through history. You know, it's, it was verbal, audible, visions and dreams, and then Urim and Thummim, and it, we, we ended up, you know, through the prophets and now Scripture. Okay, now we look at what Scripture like. Well, Scripture is inspired, Scripture is preserved, and Scripture can be found in present tense is inspired. Scripture can be found in the copies and translations that God has preserved down through history. So, so with that in mind, now remember, we're talking about Scripture being accessible. It's accessible because it's inspired and preserved. If it's not preserved, it's not accessible because you can't obtain it. Okay, so, so it's inspired 
and it's preserved. And we can find it in copies and translations, just like Timothy had, just like the Ethiopian eunuch had a copy of the Scripture of Isaiah, just like Jesus sent the scribes and the Pharisees away. Hey, go search the Scriptures, right? What's it like? What is the Scripture like? If it's accessible, if it's obtainable, if I can get my hands on it, what is it like? Okay, firstly, Scripture, the Bible, is inerrant. Inerrant simply means free of error. There are no errors in the inspired Scripture. Not one. This includes contradictions. There are no contradictions in Scripture. Not one. To say it in a positive way, because we're positive people, give me some muffins and rainbows, Scripture is truthful. What Scripture says, it says truthfully. Okay, now this does not include, this does not refer to printer's errors. There have been plenty of printer's errors. Those are readily discernible. I, I got one of my Bibles, it's a, it's a Spanish Bible. Um, Joshua chapter 9 is actually labeled 6. Um, you know, it got messed up in the printer. So, so what? But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the content of the Bible. If Scripture is the collection of the inspired and preserved words of God, and it is, then it must be truthful and free of errors because that is God's nature. Look, if God's word is not truthful, then God is not truthful. If God's word has errors in it, then God himself committed those errors because it's his word. However, God does not make mistakes. God does not contradict himself, and God does not commit errors. God is truthful every time, all the time. God cannot lie. His word is perfect. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So what God says, his word, spoken or written, what God says is true. That's why Jesus Christ could say in John 17.17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Well, Well, what part? Thy word is truth. Everything God says, his word, spoken or written, is true. 1 John 2.21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So here's our conclusion. Look, it's all or nothing. That's our position of faith. It is all or nothing. Either all of the Scripture is inerrant, or all of the Scripture is corrupt. It's it's all or nothing, folks, because all of the Scripture claims to be inspired by God. Just Genesis, Malachi, Matthew, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Psalms, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Revelation, 1 John, 1 Peter, Galatians, they all claim to be, thus saith the Lord. 
So either it's all inerrant, or if there is one part that is corrupt, it's all corrupt. I choose to believe that Scripture, just like God who gave it, Scripture is perfect and without error. And I have yet to find one error or one contradiction in the Scripture that I can hold in my hand, that I can read, that I can study, that I can preach, and that I can teach. Scripture, what's it like? It's inerrant. Scripture, what's it like? Scripture is clear. Now think about this. Think about this. Clear. By clear, I mean to say that the general message of the Bible is easily understood by anyone. Folks, that's why I'm calling my podcast Theology 101. It is not that difficult. I mean, seriously, if you just looked at 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16, and 17, you would understand what Scripture is. Scripture is something you can hold, you can read, you can understand enough to be wise into salvation, and Scripture that you can hold, read, and understand is inspired by God. How difficult was that? It's clear. It's clear. There is clarity in the message communicated by Scripture. It is not that difficult. This, at times, is referred to as the doctrine of perspicuity. Okay, I throw that out at you just because you're going to hear it tossed around. Perspicuity. The clarity of the Bible, clarity of the message of Scripture. Now, obviously, there are things in the Bible that are hard to be understood. That's uh, 2 Peter uh, 3.15 and 16, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do the other Scriptures, under their own destruction. Okay, so there are things in the Bible that are hard to be understood. The Bible is a book that is written, ultimately written. I mean, obviously we got human authors, but ultimately written by God. And so the origin of Scripture is the mind of God. So one should expect the depth of thought in Scripture to be comparable to the depth of thought of the mind from whence it came. Do you do you get it? I mean, am I am I am I making sense here? Man will never fully understand all that is contained in Scripture because Scripture comes from the mind of God. But that doesn't mean that we can't understand anything from Scripture. Look, God has given His Church His Spirit to teach us the things of God, even the deep things of God. Listen to what Paul says. It's a long passage, but just follow with me. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 13. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words 
which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So God gave us his spirit to teach us the Bible, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, words with words, scripture with scripture. The spirit of God teaches us. And God has also provided teachers in the body of Christ, teachers who are gifted by his Holy Spirit to help others understand the scriptures. Teachers, listen, teachers, expository preachers, they are a blessing and a gift to the body of Christ. I mean, do you know how refreshing it is to sit under the teaching of somebody who knows how to exposit scripture? Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, and he, Jesus Christ, the head of the body, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. The pastors and teachers, people who will give us the Scripture, the Word of God, teach us the Bible or for our perfection. They help us grow in Christ's likeness for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And Paul says again in Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, speaking of preaching Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So the Bible is clear. The general message of the Bible, easily understood. Yes, there's some things that are difficult difficult for us to understand, but if, if, we, if we work at it, if we trust the Spirit, if we compare Scripture with Scripture, if we search the Scriptures, if we submit ourselves to the proper biblical expository teaching and preaching of, of the gifted, God-given leaders in our local churches, we'll get it. Eventually, we'll figure it out. We'll learn it. It's not that difficult. But look, in spite of some things in the Bible being difficult to understand, the vast majority of the Bible, the general message, the eternal principles contained in Scripture, it's clear. It is easily understood by the common man. The person who wants to understand Scripture can understand Scripture. It's a skeptic who has problems. Look, read Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. And think about this. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. God says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now God's talking to Israel. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Look, children, young people, adults, farmers, shepherds, servants, housewives, they can all speak one with another about the words of God in any type of daily conversation. And Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 is actually a command for them to do exactly that. The Bible is clear. The Bible is not difficult to understand. It is so clear that anyone from any level of society can speak of it and converse about it in daily conversations. Even the simple person, the person who lacks intelligence, the person who lacks sound judgment, the simpleton, can benefit from reading Scripture. The Bible is so clear that, that even the simpleton, the simple person, can understand it. Psalm 19.7, 
The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Folks, it's a lie. It's a wicked deception to say that only scholars and only those with advanced seminary education and original language because original languages can understand what the scripture really says and really means. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God inspired his words, and then he preserved those words through history in copies and translations. The person who comes to the Bible with an attitude of fear and reverence and humility will find that he can understand more. And that, honestly, quite easily, he can understand more than the most advanced Greek and Hebrew scholars who approach the Bible with this haughty, arrogant, and critical skepticism. Isaiah 66.2 For all those things hath mine hand made, says God, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. What's Scripture like? Well, Scripture is inerrant. There are no contradictions, there are no errors in the Scripture. Scripture is clear. Perspicuity, the message of the Bible, is fairly easy to understand. Scripture is also necessary. There's certain things that we can know about God without Scripture. We refer to that as general revelation or natural revelation. I mentioned this before, Psalm 19, Romans 1, 19 and 20. There's certain things you can know about God by looking at creation. You know there's a creator. You can learn of his greatness, his power, his beauty by looking at creation. Conscience also informs us about things, about attributes of God. God is a moral being. He distinguishes between right and wrong. He holds accountable those who choose to do wrong. Okay, we, we can learn that without Scripture. General revelation, natural revelation through creation and conscience. But without Scripture, that's all we get. We can understand that there's a Creator and He's big, and we can understand that, that He's good and we're not. So it leaves us without excuse and it leaves us guilty and feeling bad. So, so further knowledge of the Creator requires further revelation by Him. He needs to reveal Himself, disclose Himself. He needs to communicate with us, to tell us about Himself and about His ways. And that is special revelation, and the special revelation He gave us is Scripture. So this is a review. I'm going to I'm going to bounce through this really quickly because this is something we looked at a couple of episodes ago. Look, scripture is necessary for salvation. Without scripture, you cannot know the gospel. The gospel message is contained in scripture. It didn't come from the ether. It's in the Bible. The message of the cross is recorded and preserved in scripture. We need scripture for salvation. That's Romans 10, 13 to 17. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Well, what are they going to hear? Verse 17, 
Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Scripture is necessary for salvation. Scripture is necessary for a healthy spiritual life after salvation. Uh, Matthew 4, 4, which is a quote of Deuteronomy 8, 3, Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Yeah, we need physical food, but that's not enough for a healthy life. We need to nourish ourselves in the Scripture. Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, if you do not have the habit of getting up in the morning and spending time in your Bible before you start your day, shame on you. You need to repent and build the habit of spending time alone with God in the morning. No Bible, no breakfast. Get in your Bible and feed your new man before you start shoving frosted flakes down your pie hole. Man cannot live as God planned for him to live by consuming physical food alone. You need to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and you better develop a good system. You need a system for being in the word every day. I got a simple system that I use. I read and mark my Bible, and I look for a thought for the day, and I write something down. Look, folks, it's simple. Build a habit, a simple structure to feed your new man. Daily meditation in God's Word is essential for the man of God to live that life, that live the life that God wants him to live. Joshua 1.8, you know that verse, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Psalm 1, 1-3, the first verses of the book of Psalms. You know, you, you say, oh, we're going to go to church today and worship. We're going to worship, right? No, you're going to go dance to a stupid, pathetic, amateur rock concert. That's disgusting. You want worship? Get into the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms starts out by saying this, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay, like the churches today that build their worship services based on worldly rock concerts. Seriously. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight. Where is his delight? In the music service. No. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Scripture. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Oh, how I love thy law, Psalm 119.97. It is my meditation all the day. You can start a church and not have music. And if you had Bible and expository preaching and prayer and fellowship and activities to evangelize the lost and edify the saved, folks, I'm there. I'm there. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. That's what I want. I want, I want, I want Bible. Without Scripture, you cannot grow and you cannot mature in Christ. You cannot fulfill the will of God, which is for you to be perfected, to be made like the perfect man, Jesus Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be 
like your master. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. For what purpose? It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You see, folks, that's why the purpose of the local church is not to worship God. The purpose of the local church and the New Testament is to edify the saints that we might be perfected. And that happens through Scripture, not entertainment. Scripture is necessary for a healthy spiritual life. Scripture is necessary to know the will of God. You know, you can know some of the will of God through your conscience. It can give you a general sense of what God's will is for your life. You know, you feel guilty when, you're, when you steal or you lie, you cheat, you look at pornography, and you ought to, but that's where it leaves you. The conscience cannot explain in detail what God desires for you. Scripture can. Scripture can. Listen. Scripture clearly communicates in black and white what God wants and what he does not want you to do. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Listen, Scripture is necessary to know the will of God. God's not hiding His will. Scripture is necessary. So Scripture is inerrant. Scripture is clear. Um, scripture is, is, is necessary. And Scripture is sufficient. We don't need anything but Scripture right now. We, we've got everything we need. Scripture is sufficient to accomplish all the will of God in man and through man. Scripture is sufficient for salvation. You see, God wants all men to be saved. That's God's will. That's 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. It's a good and acceptable thing in our sight of our God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is, is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. That's God's will. And so Scripture is sufficient to that end. Romans 10, 13 to 17. Faith cometh by hearing. Faith, the faith that saves. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You see, the word of God preached to the lost is sufficient to lead them to salvation in Christ. Look, that's our position of faith. Why? Because that's what Scripture says. It's either true or it's not. Paul says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. And then in the, the, verse 21, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Scripture is sufficient for salvation. We don't need gimmicks. We need obedience. We need preachers. We need people who will get out there and, and pass out tracts, talk to people, knock on doors, preach on the streets, witness, sow the seed. Scripture is sufficient for salvation. Scripture is sufficient for sanctification. 
to grow and mature in Christ, to, to, to be conformed to his image. You know, God wants all men to be saved, but he wants all the saved to be conformed to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them to grow in holiness, to grow in sanctification. Luke 6, 40, disciples not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. That's what God wants. Wants us to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8, 29. He wants Christ to be formed in you, Galatians 4.19. And Scripture is sufficient to perfect the saints, to make them perfect, like the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Sanctify them. How? Through thy truth. And where is truth? Thy word is truth, John 17.17. We could go on a lot. I mean, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. You see, Scripture was given to perfect you. That's why we need good local churches. That's why so many of God's saints are dying on the vine, man. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, And he, Jesus Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, not pastors and CEOs, not pastors and program managers, not pastors and counselors, pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Because, folks, if we don't have pastors and teachers, the saints don't get perfected. And we're perfected for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come, until we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All things that have to do with life and godliness, all things that have to do with life, salvation, being made alive, and not dead, salvation. All things that have to do with life and godliness, godlikeness, being sanctified, growing in holiness, growing in Christ, all things that have to do with life and godliness have been already given to the saints through the knowledge of God that he has given to us in Scripture. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Look, the knowledge of God, the information that God has communicated to man, the knowledge from God, is found today in Scripture. Scripture is sufficient for everything God desires to do in and through his people today. It is sufficient for their salvation. It is sufficient for their sanctification. It is sufficient for all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There is absolutely no need today for further revelation. There is no need for dreams, no need for visions, no need for your silly hunches and feelings and calls to the ministry or any other type of foolish mysticism people play at saying it's the revelation of God. 
according to the Bible, Scripture is sufficient in our age, and there is no need for any further extra-biblical revelation of any kind. The need today is knowledge of Scripture and obedience to the same. Our churches today need pastors who will labor in study to understand the Word of God and doctrine so that they can in turn feed the sheep, so that they can teach and preach sound doctrine to their people. 1 Timothy 5.17, would to God we'd have some of these. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. How many pastors labor in the Bible, word and doctrine? 1 Timothy 4.13-16, till I come, Paul says, give attendance, Timothy, to reading to exhortation, to doctrine. Not to music services, drama, and musicians. Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself, pastor, give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear unto all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Churches need pastors like that. And Christians, we need to learn the Bible so we can obey what it tells us to do. If we did that, We'd see congregations growing in sanctification. We'd see congregations bearing fruit in the salvation of the lost. Because we'd see obedience to the commands to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Lost people need to obey the gospel. They need to obey the call to repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, they need knowledge of the gospel first. They need to hear it. And so we need to obey. Scripture, therefore, is the final authority. Scripture, since since the Bible, Scripture is the preservation of the inspired words of God. It is the written record of what God has chosen to say to man. The authority of the Bible is the authority of God. Listen, listen, I'm done here, okay? We're going to be concluding. Listen to this. The authority of the Bible, because it is God's Word, is the authority of God. To disobey the Bible is to disobey God. To obey the Bible is to obey God. Man does not need to correct the Scripture and make it better. Man needs to let the Scripture correct him and make him better. So Scripture is the inspired and preserved words of God. It is contained in the 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. It is preserved by God in copies and translations that people can hold in their hands, read for themselves, study, preach, teach, and even ignore if they so choose to do so. What is the Bible then? We've taken a a few weeks here to kind of hammer this out. 
What is the Bible? Well, the Bible is a covenant corpus. It's a collection of covenants, a book made up of covenants. It's a document made up of two testaments, two covenants that started with the death of the testator. All of the contents, all of Scripture crystallizes around eight major covenants God made with man. The Bible is a covenant corpus, and the Bible, because it is a covenant corpus from God, is authoritative. It's authoritative in its origin. The words of Scripture are inspired by God. It comes from God. It comes from the mind of God. That's its origin. It is authoritative in its purpose. God gave Scripture to govern us. Scripture as a covenant corpus confronts us with God's absolute and final authority over us and our lives as the subjects living in the kingdom he created. The Bible is a covenant corpus. The Bible is authoritative. And the Bible, by God's design, as declared in Scripture itself, is accessible. It's available. God did not lose the inspired scriptures like we lose our car keys. Scripture is obtainable. God speaks more than one language. Scripture is understandable. God did not make the Bible that difficult. It depends more on your attitude than your aptitude. What is the Bible? That's it. It's a covenant corpus. It's authoritative. It's accessible. And frankly, that's the book I want to study. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on that website also. Remember, God expects us to be faithful. So learn the Bible and do what it tells you. And then come back for more Theology 101.